Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, Grantham Church. It is a joy to be with you today. As Melissa said, my name is Emily Bingham, and I had the pleasure of being here with you in worship just back in April, I believe it was. Some of you I met at that time. Others of you I've had an opportunity to get to know through my work over at the university. And it's always an honor to be invited to be a guest preacher, and it's a greater honor to be invited back (laughs) to be a guest preacher, if you know what I mean. So thank you uh, for being with us in worship today. Pastor David introduced me to your sermon series about a month or two ago, Saints and Sinners and asked if I would be willing to talk this morning about Mary Magdalene. And I eagerly accepted, because Mary Magdalene is one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. Although if you listen to me preach for any length of time, you'll hear me say that about an awful lot of people. But she does feature prominently in one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. And it's one that many of us here read year after year after year, generally on Easter Sunday. Now I'm very aware that today is not Easter Sunday, but we do gather as the church every Sunday morning to celebrate the resurrection. And as Robert Weber says, every Sunday is a little Easter. So hopefully it will be all right for us to read from this Easter passage this morning. This is from John's account of the empty tomb. This is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. 
Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. It was in part reflecting on this passage that in 2016, Pope Francis elevated the Catholic Church's annual memorial of Mary Magdalene to a feast day. The same level of recognition given to the apostles and the evangelists. And she was fittingly given the name Apostle to the Apostles, the sent one to the sent ones. And this title first came from Thomas Aquinas. In the 13th century, Aquinas wrote this of Mary. She had the office of an apostle. Indeed, she was an apostle to the apostles, insofar as it was her task to announce our Lord's resurrection to the disciples. Thus, just as it was a woman who was the first to announce the words of death, so it was a woman who would be the first to announce the words of life. Mary was the first to announce the words of life. The first to witness the resurrected Christ. And the first, dare I say, preacher, to announce in obedience to this resurrected Christ himself that life had conquered death. Mary Magdalene has the first to have this incredible privilege to proclaim what many of us since then have echoed after our own encounters with Jesus. She says, I have seen the Lord. This morning, I want us to consider together what the scriptures tell us about this apostle to the apostles before she becomes this sent one. As with many characters in the Bible, we don't learn quite as much about Mary as I might like. 
I love a good backstory. But I think what we do learn about Mary from the scriptures helps us understand this deep devotion she has to Jesus. And her devotion to Jesus, yes, gives us an example to follow as people who I hope also wish to be fully devoted to him. But more than that, Mary's devotion to Jesus gives us a window into his power to transform and his devotion to us. Her introduction to Mary Magdalene in the Gospels comes at the beginning of Luke chapter 8. This is verses 1 through 3. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Husa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. These three short verses tell us at least three important things about the woman who would go on to become the apostle to the apostles. First, we learn that Mary has been freed from seven demons. That's about seven more demons than I ever wished to encounter. And she was part of this larger group of women, among whom Joanna and Susanna are also named, who had been healed in all sorts of ways, from all sorts of afflictions. So along with the 12 disciples, they were now following Jesus from town to town as he proclaimed the kingdom of God. Now, it's often been said that Mary was a reformed prostitute. But the Gospels don't actually say anything to that effect. She's sometimes conflated with the woman who, at the end of Luke chapter 12, just before Mary Magdalene is introduced, who we read lived a sinful life before she crashed Jesus' dinner party with the Pharisees and anointed his feet with her tears. But the only real backstory we get about Mary and her life before she began following Jesus and his ministry is that she's been freed from seven demons. Now, the second thing we learn about Mary from Luke chapter 8 is that she supported Jesus' mission and ministry in really tangible ways. And while the text doesn't say so explicitly, I think we're to understand that because Jesus is the one who has cast out these demons and healed their diseases, Mary and Joanna and Susanna and these other women devoted themselves to following him because of what he had done for them and the transformation they'd experienced in their own lives. And they were so committed and so devoted to following him out of their love and gratitude that they went so far as to give out of their own means, out of their own financial resources to support Jesus and the 12 
and their ongoing itinerant ministry. Finally, Luke 8 tells us that Mary is called Magdalene. This is a helpful distinction. Mary, or Miriam, was an extremely popular name in her time and place. And we meet many other important Marys throughout the Gospels, including Jesus' own mother. Now, as someone whose first name became the number one name for every baby girl born in the United States for 12 consecutive years during the 90s and early aughts, I can appreciate this note from Luke. He wants us to understand which Mary it is we're talking about. Growing up, my best friend's name was Emily. And now I have one sister-in-law whose name is Emily. And because she took my brother's name, her name is also Emily Bingham. <laughs> my mom texts the wrong person pretty much every week. <laughs> I have often been called something else. But aside from this usefulness of a nickname in distinguishing this one Mary, called Magdalene from all the rest, there are two more good reasons why Mary may have been called Magdalene. And the first is really simple. It may refer to the town where she was born. There is a town on the Sea of Galilee that throughout different periods of history has been called either Migdal or Magdala. You can see where the name comes from. But there's a second possibility that I find really compelling. And that's the possibility that this name was given to Mary as a marker of who she would become and the kind of character she would have as she followed Jesus. For example, we know that James and John are called the sons of Zebedee because they were sons of a man named Zebedee but they were also called the sons of thunder. And we know that Simon was called Peter because Petros in Greek means rock. And Peter was the rock on which Jesus said he would build his church. And Mary may be called Magdalene because she was from a place called Magdala. But in Hebrew, Magdala also means tower. The church father, Jerome, wrote about this idea of Mary the Tower around the turn of the fifth century. Take what he says with a, a little grain of salt here. You'll see what I mean. The unbelieving reader may perhaps laugh at me for dwelling so long on the praises of mere women. There it is. It gets better. Yet if he will but remember how holy women followed our Lord and Savior and ministered to him of their substance, and how the three Marys stood before the cross, and especially how Mary Magdalene called the tower from her earnestness and glow of her faith, was privileged to see the rising Christ first of all before the apostles, he will convict himself of pride 
sooner than me of folly. Mary the tower. Maybe. And whether or not this linguistic twist is why Mary is called Magdalene, I think the name is fitting. And these three short verses at the beginning of Luke begin to tell Mary's story as a tower, a tower of strength and a tower of devotion to Jesus. Now, if you have been devoted to following Jesus for any length of time, you know that it is a full and abundant life. But that doesn't mean it's always easy. And that's true for Mary, as it's true for us. Staying close to Jesus brings us close to the cross. And it should come as no surprise then that all four Gospels place this Mary the Tower following Jesus closely. They place her there, right at the foot of the cross. As Matthew and Mark talk about the group of women with Jesus at the foot of the cross, they both take the opportunity to remind us that these women didn't just show up at the 11th hour. Rather, they've been following Jesus all the way from Galilee and supporting his ministry. Matthew 27, 55, and 56 says, Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Luke 23 adds to this narrative and highlights the courage of the women present at the cross. Luke writes, when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. All sorts of people had gathered to watch Jesus' crucifixion, and as soon as Jesus breathed his last breath, most walked away. But not those who'd followed him from the beginning. Not the women. Not Mary. I love the way that John's gospel in particular highlights the closeness of the women in particular, all <laughs> named Mary. John describes them as near the cross of Jesus. Now, in the incredibly unlikely event that anyone chooses to write about me and my life after it's over, I hope they can describe me in the same way. She was near the cross of Jesus. Mary's devotion to Jesus doesn't end at the cross. All four Gospels, yes, place her here at the cross, and all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, also place her at the tomb. 
After he radically changed her life, Mary followed Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem, making sure his needs were met as he preached the good news and healed the sick and cast out demons and shared meals with the religious elite and the down and out. And as his body was taken down off the cross and carried to the tomb, Mary continued to follow Jesus. And she saw him laid in that tomb. I find it so beautiful how Mark describes Mary and the other women continuing not only to follow Jesus, but also continuing to tend to him and to provide for his needs, even in the pain, chaos, and confusion they must have experienced after witnessing the crucifixion. This is Mark 16, 1 through 3. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They wanted to properly anoint Jesus' body. So they bought spices, they went to the tomb, and on the way they realized there was a bit of a problem. There was a giant stone in the way of the entrance. Or so they thought. Mary's devotion to Jesus is unwavering. She follows him all the way to the cross and the tomb, undeterred by the violence of the cross, undeterred by the presence of Roman soldiers, undeterred by her own grief and pain, undeterred by the weight of the stone and the impracticality of it all. She wants to go where Jesus goes. And so she does. John picks up the story with Mary surprised that the stone has been rolled away. And this is where we find ourselves in the scripture we read just a few moments ago. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? The tomb is empty, Jesus is nowhere to be found, and Mary is distraught. Where does she go to follow him now? How can she care for her Lord when she doesn't even know where he is? But Mary's devotion to Jesus compels her to seek him out. The Gospel of John borrows from the account of creation in Genesis, most notably at the beginning of chapter 1, where John famously declares, in the beginning was the Word, 
And I can't help but see another parallel between Genesis and John, again here, this time at the empty tomb, with Mary as a foil for Eve. Whereas Eve, along with Adam, let's not forget, hides from God the Father in the garden, Mary enters the garden in search of God the Son. The text goes on. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. See, Mary not only seeks God in the garden, but she also recognizes his voice when he calls her by name. Jesus says in John 10 that the sheep follow the shepherd because they know his voice. And Mary proves to be one of those sheep who knows the voice of the good shepherd. And I believe part of the reason that Mary is able to recognize the voice of Jesus, the voice of the shepherd, even in this incredibly disorienting situation. Because remember, she knew Jesus was dead. She saw it happen. She was there. But she's able to recognize Jesus' voice because it's familiar. She'd heard it before. She'd heard that voice teaching to the crowds. She'd heard that voice joking over a meal at the table. She'd heard that voice in casual conversation walking along the road. She'd heard that voice crying out from the cross. And she'd heard that voice commanding the demons that tormented her to flee. She knew that voice because she'd heard it before, and she stayed close. Now, if Mary's story ended here, it would be a good story. Oppressed by evil, a woman encounters God incarnate who sets her free, and she devotes her life to following him, witnessing him transform lives all over the region, giving of her own resources to help support his work. And then she experiences heartbreak as she watches her Lord executed by the state and laid to rest in a tomb, sealed up. But then... It turns out she'd placed her trust and devotion in exactly the right place after all. And that crucified Christ is raised from the dead and he appears to her, of all people. And he calls her by name and she recognizes his voice and they embrace. And the screen fades to black. The end. It's a beautiful story. But the story isn't over. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus' appearance to Mary, I'm sure, fills her with incredible joy and peace and probably a whole bunch of questions. But he appears to her, not just for her. He appears to her for her to spread the good news. Mary's transformation by Jesus Mary's devotion to Jesus and Mary's encounter with Jesus are not for her alone. Rather, they're for the sake of the whole world. And so, at Jesus' command, she goes and she tells, proclaiming the risen Christ. Now, that's a really good story. And it's part of each one of our stories. Mary tells the 12 what she witnessed, and they then become witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as followers of Jesus, we stand on the shoulders of those who followed him before us, including Mary, the tower. Now, this is the moment where this sermon could go really wrong. It's tempting to point to a very nice bulleted list of some of the good things we've seen in Mary and wrap it all up with a bow and say, be like Mary, go in peace. Now, certainly, Mary is portrayed throughout the Gospels as a woman devoted to God, and we would do well to learn from her. We should support the kingdom of God. We should follow Jesus even when it's hard. We should seek God and listen for God's voice and proclaim the good news of the resurrection. But the thing is, the story of the Bible isn't primarily a story about us. It's not primarily a story about Mary or anybody else we find in its pages. It's primarily a story about God. And Mary isn't the most important character, even in this story about her devotion to God. It's God. The God who was devoted to her. And the God who is devoted to us. Mary's devotion to Jesus is grounded in her experience of healing and freedom. And I do pray that each one of us here today would have encounters with God that transform us in the very depths of who we are. But let's remember, Mary's life is transformed, and our lives are transformed because we serve a God who wants nothing more than to see us experience fullness of life in him. And Mary contributes to Jesus and his mission through caring for his tangible needs. And I pray that each one of us would be generous and cheerful givers, using the gifts we've received to bless others. But let's remember that's only possible 
because we serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and who gives good gifts to his children and who invites all people to join with him in bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Mary follows Jesus all the way to the cross and the tomb. And I pray that each one of us would have the commitment and the courage to stay close to Jesus, even in our darkest moments. But let's remember, we serve a God who draws near to those who draw near to him and promises never to leave or forsake us. Mary seeks God in the garden. And I pray that each one of us would have that kind of holy discontent that leaves us wholly unsatisfied until we find ourselves in God's very presence. But let's remember, we serve a God who seeks us first and that there's nowhere we can go to flee from his presence. Mary recognizes God's voice and I pray that each one of us would spend enough time with the shepherd that we would come to know the sound of his voice better than we know the sound of our own breath. But let's remember, we hear because we serve a God who speaks and who calls each one of us by name. Mary proclaims the risen Christ. And I pray that each one of us would have the obedience and the boldness to obey God's call on our lives and be witnesses to what we've seen and heard. But let's remember, we go and we tell because we serve a God who has a mission and who has chosen us as his means of seeing it through. Mary was called a tower. And I pray that our lives would be marked with the same kind of unwavering devotion to God and his purposes. But Proverbs 18.10 says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And I pray that this morning we would be reminded of his unwavering devotion to us, his people. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the example that you have given us in Mary of what it looks like to follow you closely, to seek you out, to hear your voice, to be one who is known as being close to the cross. But God, would you help us to see you in this story as well? Would you help us to see you as the one who is relentlessly devoted to your people, bringing healing, bringing freedom, giving us a mission and purpose, revealing yourself to us, drawing us close to yourself, and sending us out for the sake of the world? God, this morning, would you help us to see you as that strong tower? If there are places in our lives where we are feeling distant, disconnected, let down, disappointed, God, remind us of who you are. Remind us of whose we are. 
and draw us close. We want to follow you. We want to be devoted to you because you love us. Amen.